economically as well as spiritually and stuff is going, going to be tight. So many people are going to come into stressful times and, and uh, things may get harder. But the Lord spoke to Jerry and said, but those who fear me, who hear my voice and o- obey me, do what I say, I will do powerful things for them. And the Lord gave Pastor Jerry a verse from Daniel, the book of Daniel, that says, those who know their God will do great exploits. And the context of that verse is, is actually in a tremendous amount of like, uh, difficult times. And I, I mentioned to you a little while back, Leslie Kegel, another prophetic voice, spoke, and I read his prophecy, that God is bringing a global revival that there's something that God is doing already, but that it's, He's going to pour out even more, bringing so many people to Himself. Uh, many people, people like Bill Bright, have been, uh, Bill Bright before he went to be with the Lord, prophesied a billion soul revival, and just people coming to the Lord in mass numbers all around the world. Hundreds of millions are coming to the Lord every year, but billion soul revival is huge, right? And so Leslie Kegel was prophesying that, and he said that the Lord is leading his church to repentance, to model that repentance to the world. And I'll tell you, when I was at the Rock Conference, and when I was, um, and, uh, and Sean was telling me about the Jesus Culture Conference, another apostolic move in our nation. These are things that God is doing in our nation, not just in other countries. There is such a call to, to purity happening right now. I'm listening to these prophetic apostolic voices. Uh, I know what the Lord has been saying through me to this church, and the Lord is calling. Like at the Rock Conference, there was more than one speaker who preached on no compromise, more than one speaker at the Rock Conference who preached on renewing our mind. Many, many were preaching to the issues of, of purity of heart and motive. And I'll tell you, what the Lord is doing is calling us to repentance. Why? Because I learned this recently. Do you know when you prune something? You prune it right before the spring. It's when you're supposed to prune. God prunes right before growth. See, the Lord is calling us. It's it's what Jesus preached. Repent. What? For the kingdom of God is at hand. The Lord wants to do a purifying and a pruning work in our hearts, in His church. He's calling us to that because of what He wants to do powerfully in and through His church. And and to go back to Leslie Kegel, Leslie Kegel said, so what the Lord is calling his church to is a passion for his presence. Man, when I read that prophecy, I thought, oh, that's exactly what the Lord's saying to me, you know? That's why we're, that's what the Lord's teaching us. The Lord is calling us to become a people of his presence in this season. He's calling us to align our lives fully with the work of what Jesus is doing on the earth, and in order to do that, to be a people of his presence. And then Sean told me about a man named Reinhard Bonnke. Reinhard Bonnke is one of the greatest evangelists of our time. He's probably led, estimated, 72 million people to Jesus. Just a, just a few. Okay? If you've ever seen pictures of Reinhard Bonnke's crusades in Africa, it's mind-blowing how many people are gathered there. You can't gather them in stadiums. It's like there's times 200 million people. Speakers, I mean like, like, a, what am I, like, I mean like these kind of speakers, just for miles, as he preaches the gospel with signs and wonders, they hundreds of millions of people have come to the Lord in Africa in these last couple decades. And Reinhard Bonnke has been using that. Well, Sean was telling me that Reinhard Bonnke preached and said, was was saying to uh, uh, at a conference recently that the Lord spoke to him and said, 
I'm going to save America. That means a lot when Reinhard Bonnke says, that's what God told me about Africa before I went to Africa. That's a big deal. You know, empires rise and fall, but Jesus wants to save nations, doesn't he, right? He wants to save people. So, these prophetic voices, these people, they're, they're seeing what the Lord's doing around the world, and they're calling us to stand in faith. Well, well, we're part of that, aren't we? Amen? We're part of the army of the Lord, if you will. If you want to use that metaphor, we're in the body. We're on the winning team. Amen? And the Lord has called us to be in this area, right? The Lord doesn't need one or two great evangelists. I mean, praise God for people like Reinhard Bonnke, but the Lord does not need one or two men or women around the world. What He needs is every believer making disciples. And that's what we're being called to in Matthew 28. The Lord is, is showing us. That's the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. He, the Lord doesn't need one or two churches doing this. We need more, not less churches, right? And the Lord has put us as a church among, along with other churches all over this area. Praise God for the other churches. But the Lord has given us this area to pray for. People in this area to reach out to, right? We're on a right? That's what we're, we're, we're on a mission to seek and save that which was lost. To go and find people that Jesus loves and Jesus bought with his blood. He wants everyone to come to know him. And so that's, that's really who we are. We're a church among many churches, believing God for what God wants to do in this area, His kingdom come, amen? Where He brings people to Himself in this area. And so one of the things that we're believing God for as a church is that He would uh, double the size of this church, not for our ambition, because He wants to bring more people to know Him, amen? And when I say double the size of this church, don't, don't think exactly the, only the people in this room, because and some people here and there and everywhere, right? I'm talking about those who are disciples, who are members or call this church their home church. They might be on vacation or they're away for the school year or something like that. They come back in the fall. That, that we're believing God to lead people to himself and double the amount of disciples in this church. We're also believing God to give us a facility. The Lord has told us to look and he's showed us that it's coming soon. We just need to look. We have a facility, obviously, but just that a, a place that we can... Uh, utilize more for reaching more people for the Lord. It's a tool so that we can make a greater impact. And so what I want to do here is just take a second before we dive into the, the message and thank the Lord for what He's doing and ask Him, Lord, done. We know what He's doing on the around the world. We're on the winning team. We know what His will is. And so we need to ask Him. So you're a part of this church, right? So it's, Lord, do what you will, this church, because this is our field, if you will, right? This 210 corridor, this is our field. And we bless every other farmer out there, right? Every other church. But we're responsible for this field. You see what I'm saying? We have a harvest that God has called us to harvest. We're responsible to believe God and to obey Him as a church, not just Dave Turner, right? I'm responsible to lead us to fulfill the assignment God has called to for our church. Amen? Right? This isn't just like the normal church where you just come and sit and you're a spectator or this normal American church where we just come and someone else lives for Jesus. No, amen. We are all followers of Christ. Amen? We're all on assignment with the Lord doing what God has called us to do. Amen? So can you just do this with me? You don't have to stand up, but 
as I pray, don't be passive, but pray out loud, out of your mouth, in your own words. You can, I, you can repeat what I say, but just out of your own mouth. Let's fill this room just with some murmuring, some quiet praying. I mean, you can do it loud too, but just pray, and let's ask the Lord, double the amount of disciples. Bring youth to Him, older people to Him, people who are fatherless, people who are hurting or broken, who need healing, deliverance, and let's pray for that facility. All right, let's pray that. Pray for that. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you're the leader of your church, that you're the king. We bless you. We thank you that you're building your church, that you're doing a great work. And we thank you, Lord, that we're on the winning team. We're a part of this great thing that you're doing. And we say yes, yes to the assignment you've given us to be those people in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in this community. We say yes to being a blessing to this community. And so, Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus, according to your will, we ask that you would double the amount of disciples in this church. So draw people to yourself, draw us to them, give us favor, open their hearts to you, Lord. We know there are many people who, they, 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 they're Christian, but they're disconnected from your church. We ask, draw them to yourself, that they could grow as disciples and be light and salt. We ask for many young people, disconnected, prodigals, running from you. We ask, deliver them from bondage and addictions. And, and we ask that you release healing into people's lives. Lord, give us couples, husbands and wives, families, Lord, that you would give us, that we would disciple them and heal, see healing and restoration in their lives. Lord, give us the fatherless, that they would encounter you as their father and walk in the wholeness to become fathers and mothers themselves, Lord. We ask also that you'd give us a facility in Jesus. We speak to that facility. Come forth in the name of Jesus. We ask you, Lord, give us the resources. Give us the tools that we need to fulfill your assignment. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, Matthew 4. If you didn't get there yet, uh, I don't know what you're going to do. But uh, all right, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. So there was this Sunday school teacher, and he sat with his Sunday school class, a bunch of kids, young, very young kids, you know, like my daughter is about four years old, and he asked these kids, he asked these kids, now kids, what's green, hops, and he says ribbit, and this small class of preschoolers in their Sunday school class I looked at him funny. Huh? Well, kids, come on. What's, what's green? What hops? And it says ribbit. And the kids looking at each other like, well, I don't, like they don't know, you know, like they're scared to answer. And one, one brave boy put his hand up and said, Jesus? <laughs> because... In Sunday school, that is the answer to every question, yeah? Amen? My, my, my daughter, Emma, she's totally at that age. I mean, it's hilarious uh, that, that she's just so creative. And, you know, the other, yesterday, we're, uh, John, Dave, and I are playing Monopoly, and, and, uh, and Emma's in the corner just pretending she's singing and worshiping, and she's singing like, it's hilarious. She's like trying to sing the B-I-B-L-E song, but I don't know what it was. And when Jesus loves me and the B-I-B-L-E, I stand on the sidewalk. And I mean, just like the funniest song. She doesn't know the words. She's going to make up the words. I'm telling you, it's hilarious. And it's so funny because her main mantra is like, you know, Jesus loves me. And the other one is, 
be nice and calm, nice and calm, you know, because that's like what we tell her a lot of times when we go to public places. What do we do? Do we hit? No. Nice and calm. What are we going to do? Nice and calm. That's what she says. <laughs> She's really funny. So like when I do devotions with the kids at dinner time or something like that, I'll ask them questions, you know. Okay, kids, you know, what's green? Hops and ribbits. Jesus! You know, she's totally at that age. She's totally like, Jesus! Jesus loves me! Jesus loves us! You know, something like that. And uh, so that's totally Emma. I want you to know that uh, even though uh, what, what is green and what hops and what ribbits is, is not Jesus, right? He's not, not green. And he doesn't usually say ribbit unless he's like uh, pretending. Uh, no, I'm just messing around. But you know what's interesting is that really, when, you know, my, my daughter Emma and that little boy in the story are really not that far off, you know? Sometimes you would hope that when, when uh, the, we'd hope that the tweeners in our church know a little bit more about theology uh, to know that that's a, a, a frog and, and that, and, you know, they'd understand a little bit more of the kingdom than just Jesus. But the reality is sometimes we as adults need to get back to that childlike faith. Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom. There's something about that desperate, humble attitude of a child. I mean, literally, as a child, you have no privilege, you have no power, you have no ability outside of your parents. You know, you don't, you don't go to work and get a paycheck. You're like, you are utterly dependent on your children. That's why we call them dependents, right? That's what he means. That's what Jesus is talking about, utterly dependent, and there's something about my daughter Emma that she gets that I think we don't, or that we forget, that it really is all about Jesus, that he really is the answer. He is perfect revelation. He is perfect God and perfect man. He is truth. He is the way. He's the beginning and the end. It's all for him. It's all about him. It's all from him. He really is the answer to every question. I mean, I love theology, by the way, and some of you know I'm an adjunct professor. I love to teach theology and always bring it back to Jesus. In some ways, he is the answer to every question. In some ways, he is the centerpiece of all truth. Not that he's a rat, uh, uh, I mean, I, keep saying, I want to say ribbit. Not that he's a frog, but he really is. When I ask a question... You know, who loves you? What should we all say? Right? We need to be like my daughter, Emma. Who died for you? Come on, be like my daughter, Emma. Who loves you? You know, say a little, little bit of childlike joy. Who's this whole thing about? Who's the king? Jesus. Who's the savior? Jesus. See what I mean? It's all about Jesus. It's really not any more complicated than that. So look with me in Matthew 4. I want to show you something. That this is all about Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's been preaching to the crowds. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And in verse 18, it says, And Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother. 
casting a net into the sea. They're fishermen, they're fishing. And in verse 19, Jesus walks up to them and it says, Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It would be like me walking up to uh, Sam and saying, you're going to pastor, so come hang out with me. It would be like Chris Chambers, who's, by the way, now a journeyman. Huh? By the way, that's kind of like graduating. You know what I'm saying? He's a pipe fitter. So like uh, what, a couple days ago on Thursday, he graduated, I mean technically graduated, we'll say it like that, but he became a journeyman. That'd be like Chris Chambers walking up to somebody and saying, I want you to be a journeyman, come hang out with me. This is how people become electricians, plumbers, journeymen. This is how people learn things, right? By being with someone. Jesus is the master. Jesus is the teacher. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the one we are created to be like completely. He's the one we were created to partner with to bring his kingdom on earth. And when he walks up to the disciples and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, he's inviting them to be his apprentices. Just like a, a young person would learn from a master journeyman and become a journeyman like an electrician or a, a pipe fitter like, like a Chris. Jesus is inviting the disciples to come into relationship with him. That's the invitation. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, come into a relationship with me. A dependent, intimate relationship with me. Where you're walking with me by faith, that childlike faith. Relying on me. And you come and you spend time with me. You come hang out with me. I'm inviting you to be with me. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. Now, they understood what that meant. Here's Jesus ministering, healing to people, preaching to crowds. People are drawn and attracted, and their lives are being changed. Whole crowds of people. And he's telling these disciples, you're going to do what I do. See, a disciple is one who becomes and does just like the master. Every disciple understood when they heard this rabbi, this Jesus, say to them, follow me. They understood, oh, he's inviting me to be a disciple so that I could become like him and I could minister like he ministered. Every disciple is called to minister like Jesus ministered and to love like he loves. We were created to become just like him. And so what he's doing is he's inviting them. And, and today the Lord is doing that. He's inviting you. He's inviting you into that relationship with himself where you'd walk in intimacy with Him, depending on Him, where He is Lord and Master, where He is the King, where He is your teacher, and He's inviting you to become like Him. And though you might not think, yay, fishers of men, we don't really think like in those concepts. Maybe put it in words that we might use in our culture. He's saying, I'll fulfill the purpose and plan I have for your life. Your purpose that I called you to, to partner with me for a great thing, I will cause you to do that. 
And notice what he says. Notice the, the emphasis. I love this. Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. We're following him, right? It's him we're following. Real basic grammar, isn't it? We're following him, but listen. I will make you fishers of men. I will do it. I will cause you to become who you were created to be. I will cause you to fulfill your purpose. I will make it happen. I will do it. I will create it. I will cause it to be. Just like rain would fall on the ground and cause uh, things to grow up out of it. The rain causes it to happen. God is the God who calls things that are not as though they are. He spoke worlds into existence. Let there be light. And he spoke it into existence. And he says to you and me, you'll follow me. Just like I created the world, I will cause you to become who you were created to be. This is all about Jesus. See, it's all by his grace. And it's all to his glory. Hebrews chapter 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The author and the finisher. It's all by his grace and it's all to his glory. He's the author. He's the initiator. He's the one who thought it up. He's the one who wrote it. He's the one creating it. He's the source And he's the one who causes what he wants to have happen. The finisher. The one who brings it to completion. The thing that God wants to do in your life. The promises that he has made in your life. The calling that he has on your life. The calling to know him. To become just like him. To partner with him. That means fruitfulness in your purpose. That means victory over sin. That means the fruit of the Spirit. That means you overcoming and seeing breakthrough in your life. That thing that God wants to do in you, Jesus is saying, you follow me and I will do it. Amen? It's all by his grace and it's all to his glory from beginning to end. The Bible actually calls him that. Amen? He is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the A and the Z. He is the author and the finisher from the beginning to through the whole process to the completion of it, it's all about Jesus. Amen? He is the leader. He is the source. It's His grace and power, and He brings it to completion so that He gets the glory. And listen, when it is by His grace and not our own human effort, He gets the glory. This is absolutely essential to understand. You want to know why? Because the last time I checked, we're Christians. Yeah? That means Christ followers. Last time I checked, it's not about by my grace. I mean, it's not by my power. Last time I checked, it's not for my glory. Last time I checked, God's the one who thought this whole thing up. God created everything for Jesus. Jesus purchased the nations with his blood, and he is coming back to reign over everything. Amen? But we've been learning that he's doing this, uh, that this thing's bigger than us. It's about the nations. But let me tell you, This is not about just something he's doing in the nations. It's about what he's doing in your life. 
is what he's doing in your life. He's not just the king of a kingdom. He's your king. And he says to you very personally, just like he says to, said to Simon and Andrew, he says it to everybody. We were all created to follow him. He says to you, follow me personally. He speaks to your heart. I will make you fishers of men. That thing that you're believing God for, the thing that you're aching for, wanting breakthrough in, the thing that you know you're called to, he says, you follow me. I will make you fishers of men. So I want, what I want to do, I want to highlight what this, uh, uh, four things, four dynamics of this. I just want to show you in the scriptures because I want to build up your faith. What the Lord is saying is that it's his power, that it's his process, that it's his pleasure, that it's his perfection. What I mean by that is from beginning to end, it is him. He's the one who starts it. He's the one who's going to bring it to completion. It's all by his grace and it's all to his glory. You can already see what I mean by it's his power when I mention what I mentioned here in Matthew chapter 4. I, he says, I will make you fishers of men. I will do it. Not you will do it. Follow me and I'll help you. Follow me and, you know, God helps those who help themselves. No, he didn't say that. He said, you follow me, I will take care of you. I will empower you. I will cause it to happen in your life. Now, you have a part to play, don't you? Following him. It's good to focus on that. But he's making a promise here. John chapter 8, he says, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the truth will set you free. Not you will set yourself free, not, and you'll pull yourself up by your brute steps. Right? That good old American gospel. Right? Make yourself, make yourself made man. No. Remember in Deuteronomy 8? He says, hey, when the Lord has blessed you, don't forget that it is God who gives you power to make wealth. What is he saying? I'm the source of blessing. I'm the source of your life. I'm the source of... It's my grace abounding in you that causes you to succeed in my will. John 8, you abide in my word, you're my disciple. It's my truth that will set you free. Acts 20, 32, Paul says to the Ephesian uh, pastors, he says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and bring you into your inheritance. Listen, his word the word of God, Jesus' teaching, if you will, right? The gospel, that's about Jesus. The word of God. When Paul says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and bring you into your inheritance. Literally, the word of God, it's like the blueprint. Promises that God speaks over your life. Like, I will make you fishes of men. It's the blueprint. You don't see it in your life yet, but it's the blueprint. You look at the blueprint, you know what the building's going to look like, right? When you look at the Word of God, you know what you will look like in the end. When you look at Jesus, you know what you will look like in the end. Did you know it says that when He returns, we will become just like Him because we'll see Him? When you see what Jesus is like, you know what you're like because He's living in you, right? It's, th th listen, this is, this is the gospel, it's the power of the resurrection life in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Resurrection life, resurrection power on the inside of you. Christ.
you, empowering you to become just like Him because He empowers what He commands. Grace empowers what grace commands. He is living in you to fulfill His great commission, to fulfill His purpose and plan for your life, and to fulfill His character. You know, that's why we call it the fruit of the Spirit, right? I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith. He's living in us. Christ in us. That, that day that you put, confessed Jesus as Lord, your spirit was born again, resurrected, and the spirit of Christ came inside of you. It's His power. It's all by His grace. We weren't, it's not just that we're saved by grace. Woo, I, get to go. Good. Whew. I get to go to heaven by grace. Amen. It's a free gift. But grace isn't just a free gift of salvation. Grace is literally the empowerment to become like Him. It's grace from beginning to end. From beginning to end, this whole thing is saturated with grace. The kingdom, you're in the kingdom, you're breathing grace. Oh, it's good. Just like you and I, if there was no oxygen in this room, right, they cl- some guy shut the door and sucked the oxygen out, we die, right? Grace is the air we breathe. You and I, can't, we can't live without him. That's why Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. You abide in me, you bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do Nothing. Outside of Christ, we cannot become like Him. You cannot become like Christ without Christ. You can't love like He loves without Him. You can't know Him without Him. Right? It's impossible to become a, be, be a Christian without Christ. He is the source. It's His power. And so, but here's the thing. Anyways, back to my metaphor about the blueprint. The Word is the blueprint. It's a blueprint. When you're looking at the Word, when you're looking at Christ, you're looking at what you're going to look like. But let me tell you, when in Acts 20, 32, Paul says the Word of God, God and the Word of God are able to build you up and bring you into your inheritance, that's not just the blueprint. That's not just telling you what your inheritance is. Listen, Jesus is saying, it's my truth that will set you free. My truth that will set you free. The Word is able to bring you into your inheritance. You, the, the Word of God, the Word of God is not just the blueprint. The Word of God is all the materials. Jesus Christ Himself, man, He's like the architect, the foreman, the builder, the city planner who checks out. Yeah, right? Yeah, Jason knows what I'm talking about, right? From beginning to end, His Word are the building blocks, the blueprints, and every resource you need. Jesus is saying, so you need to abide in my word. You need to abide in my word because if you abide in my word, that truth in my word will set you free. And how do I get free? The truth of God's word will set you free. When you believe the word comes out of your mouth with faith. You say, man, how do I become the person God has called me to be? Jesus, Paul said, the word of God, the word of God. The Word of God is able to build you up and bring you into your inheritance. What I'm trying to say is that literally it's His grace, His power, His truth that does the work, not you. Amen? Not you. But not only is He the Lord and it's His power, but it's His process. He's the author and finisher. The author and finisher. And that would imply everything in between. Amen? Everything in between. Come follow me. He's the Lord of the process. There's a lot of us who are kind of like, yay, Jesus, save me. 
and it's, I got saved by His grace, and now I, I got to earn it, or I got to make it happen. There's a lot of people who, they get going in their walk with God, and they don't grow as fast as they thought they would, or there's some things that have tripped them up, and they begin to think that, well, either there's something wrong with me, like maybe I don't really love God, or, or they think there's something wrong with Jesus, and people begin to become offended at God. They begin to think that, well, if you were a better leader, if you were good, or if you really love me, or they think there's something wrong with him, like he's not being faithful, and that's just not the case at all. Listen, he's faithful, and he's leading you. Yeah, you've heard me say, every promise, every word ever, always gets tested. Remember we were in King David's life, and I said, look, it'll always take longer, and it'll always be harder than you think. Just suck it up. <laughs> just the way... The kingdom grows. It's the way it is on this broken and fallen world. But listen, he's the Lord of the process. He's the author and the finisher, and he's walking with you step by step, every step of the way. He's not asking you to do it in your own effort. He's not asking you. He's not like at the finish line. He is the finish line himself, right? I mean, that's the great thing about Jesus. He's both the source, but he's the definition of what it means to be holy. He's the one empowering you to be holy, and he is the standard. Here I am, right? So he's at, he's, but he's not at the finish line going, come on, you can do it. Come on, I'm waiting for you. That's not it at all. But that's how a lot of us think, huh? In fact, actually, most of us think he's more like this. Come on, ah, bad Christian. Ah, you stink. Get up. Most of us think he's mad and grumpy and waiting for us to get our act together. Now, a lot of us, we wouldn't say that out loud because we go to this church, but I know we think it. I know we struggle. A lot of times we don't really believe the Lord is for us and with us. Right there next to us as a coach saying, come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Come on, get back up again. You can do And encouraging us and running alongside of us. I mean, you guys know what? That's what the Holy Spirit's name is, parakletos, one who comes alongside. He wasn't like, okay, I'm going to heaven. I hope you guys make it. Right? I mean, he did say, he who endures to the end will be saved, but he said, hey, I'm going to give you what you need so you can endure to the end. This is a race. It's a marathon. It's going to be hard. You're going to go through trials. You're going to fall down. He says, here, I'm going to live in you. He's the Lord of the process. Where does it say that in the Bible? All over the place. Just mess it. He says in Philippians 2, Paul says, work out your own salvation if you're in troubling. He says, because it's God who works in you to will and to do. Yeah, your part is to work out your salvation if you're in trouble. That's follow him, trust, obey. Childlike faith. I mean, honestly, it's just really that simple. But listen what he's doing. He is working in you to will and to do. Wait a minute, isn't that cheating? That's cheating, come on. To will and to do? I thought we were supposed to like bring the will part. Come on, Jesus said to his disciples, your spirit is willing, your flesh is weak. Their spirit was willing because he was awakening their spirit. The power of a resurrected life on the inside of you. If you are born again, Christ is in you. Your spirit is willing. And he doesn't, you know, many of us, we read it like this. Yeah, your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. You know, that's how we read it. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying your spirit is willing. It's eager. You have a desire inside of you for me because I put it there. Because you're abiding in me. And he says, but your flesh is weak. Yeah, there's stuff we need to watch out against. There's stuff we need to cut off. There's stuff we need to die to. Of course. 
And he's the one empowering us to will and to do. I'm telling you, we win from, be- like, we don't even have to start the race. It's like, seriously, it's totally cheating. We're like at the starting blocks. I used to run track and they'd hold the gun up, right? On your marks. Dude, I already won. You know what I'm saying? You're like, on. can you imagine the kind of confidence you would run with if you knew, I'm going to win? Like that, that, like that boy in Invincibles. I love that. At the end of the movie when that boy, if you haven't seen the Pixar movie, Incredibles, I mean, sorry, Incredibles, uh, the boy is really fast, and he's racing the other boys, and he gets ahead of him, and his family goes, slow down, slow down. No, 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 go faster, go faster. I mean, he, the boy could run, like, faster than anyone could see, but he was, like, just, you know, trying to make it look like he'd only win by a little bit, right? That's the kind of confidence we've got. You're on the, get, mar- get you know, on your mark, get set. You've already, you, you won before you started. This is cheating. He's working in you to will and to do. Do you think that Jesus knew the kind of boneheads that he called before he called them? Do you think he knew Peter was going to deny him? Do you think he knew Peter was going to say, now Jesus, you don't need to die. Get behind me, Satan. He didn't say that because he was rejecting Peter. He was saying that because he was confronting flesh, right? He didn't say to his disciples, your spirit's willing, your flesh is weak, man, you're all going to fail. No, he said, your spirit's willing, your flesh is weak, now watch and pray. That's a good coach, isn't it? Not, you stink. No, hey, hey, guys, guys, here's what you need to do to strengthen your spirit. Okay? Every good coach is going to come alongside, right, uh, like Fred with baseball, and going to come alongside and say, hey, your stance is a little off, here's how you can do it. But let me tell you, if you do this... In fact, I was, we were playing cornhole, and I said, Fred, my beanbag keeps falling off the board. He said, your arch is not high enough. Oh, man. What is he saying? He wasn't saying, because by the way, I know what he's, no, I'm just, I was going to say, I was going to make a joke that he's thinking in his head, Dave, you stink. But no, he's not thinking that. He's a coach, right? He's a coach. And so he says, he just tells me what I need to do right. That's what Jesus is doing. Come alongside. But here's the great thing. Here's the great thing. He's living inside of you. He works in you to will. That's want, desire. So you come to God, and he's like, I don't even... You're struggling with sin. People come and say, oh, I want to be free, but I don't really want to be free. There's a lot of people like that in the church, you know. I want to be free. I'm holding on to my sin. That's not good, by the way. Die to that. But, but I'm saying that he's working in you to will, too. He's the Lord of the process. You can come to the Lord and say, I don't really want, but I want to want to want. And the Lord said, that's good enough for me. We'll work on that, right? And he's completely and utterly patient, not frustrated, Working with you, the Lord of the process. He's working in you to will and to do. Literally, he's giving you the ability. This is what grace is. Grace is enabling you to want it. What do you mean it? To want him, his kingdom, his character, and to do it. You say, okay, well, I I want to obey God, but I, I I, I just don't do it. I don't execute. I don't implement. He's the one doing it, working in you to actually bring you to a place of obedience. It's all by his grace. It's all by His grace. It's His power. It's His process. He's the one doing this in our life. Now, how does He do this? Real quick, you'll notice, um, like in Ephesians chapter 5, it says that Jesus loves His church, uh, and He washes His church with the water of His Word. Isn't that interesting, right? I just noticed, John, I just mentioned John 8. It's the truth that sets us free. Jesus is washing His bride, the church, with the water of His Word word the bible says of the in uh, the increase of li- i'm sorry the the entrance of the word 
The entrance of the word brings light. The entrance of the word, the word of God, brings light. The more word of God you get in you, the more light shines in you. There's a lot of things in our life. Man, what's God's calling for my life? Who am I? What's my identity? There's a lot of lies we believe. There's a lot of darkness in this world, isn't there? There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of things we just don't know. How do I budget my money? How do I love my wife? How do I walk in purity? We need the how, right? My spirit's willing, but I don't know how to do it. We need light. We need light. You know, I'm, I am totally this guy. I love to keep the lights off in my house. I'm like excessive, right? I mean, we're all... John Paul and I, we're always turning lights off everywhere. But I'm even worse than that. I'll walk through a hallway with the lights off because I just don't want to turn on the lights. Okay? That's all fine when you think you know where everything is, right? Well, one time, this actually happens to me all the time, but one time I'm walking down the dark hallway at nighttime, right? And bam, I ran into a vacuum cleaner full on right there in the middle of the walkway. Why was the vacuum cleaner was there? Well, my wife left it out. But who didn't move it? Me, right? I mean, come on. I turned off the lights, and the vacuum cleaner was right there. Bam! You know, I just ran right into the vacuum cleaner. That's totally me. I just run into stuff. I don't know why. Get, come on, Dave. Turn on the light, right? What do I need? I need light. How many times do we run into things? Do we trip over sin? Do we get caught up in things? Or we just don't know, God, what decision do I make? We need the will of God in our life. We need the Lord to speak to us. The Bible says if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But we don't usually do that, right? We need light. The entrance of his word brings light. He leads by sanctifying. You see that? That he might sanctify her, cleansing, washing, purifying, making us more and more and more like him. And it's always the word. He's a great leader and a great teacher, and his word is able to do what we need it to do. Of course, simple application. We need to get in the word. We need more word, way more word. People are like, Dave, you preach too long. No, we don't preach enough. We need more word. Day and night, day and night. We need the word. Meditate the word day and night. Hear it. You got podcasts and iTunes and, and CD. You can have the word of God playing in your ear all the time if you wanted to. More word, more word. But Here's the point I want to make. The entrance of the word brings light. Don't you like it that he's a great leader and he leads you step by step? And he, when you got saved, he didn't come into you. Now, he, has, he is light, right? Jesus is the, the light of the world, right? He didn't come inside of you and say, bam, and show you everything that's wrong with you. Aren't you glad? I mean, can you imagine that? You get saved, okay? You get saved. And the Lord just takes the big old floodlight and goes. Now, in, in some ways, you, he did shine the light in you, you know, in the sense that you've been resurrected. But I'm saying, like, he doesn't come and just say, bam, here's all that's wrong with you. Here's all the wrinkles. Here's all the brokenness. Here's all the hurt and pain. Here's all your sins. Here's all your selfishness. Here's all your pride. Let me show you the depth of just how depraved you are. My goodness. You know, seriously, we'd be on the starting line. On your marks. Oh, dang it. I'm done. <laughs> we would just give up. He's not like that, is he? He's not like that. The entrance of his word brings light. What he does is he shines on you. The Holy Spirit. We call it the conviction of the Spirit. By the way, the word conviction just means to expose. And that's what light does. The Holy Spirit is simply the one who comes and shines light and says, Hey, let's work on that area. Like I said, he invited Peter to follow him. He changed, his name was Simon, he changed his name to Peter. He called Peter to be a leader. And in the midst of that relationship, he would have to correct him at times, didn't he? 
He says, come on, let's do this thing together. And then he would say, hey, watch it, that's flesh. The Lord wants to correct you, and the Lord wants to give you direction. He wants to shine light on you. But listen, it's always for your good. It's always to make you to become more like him and to fill your calling. But he doesn't just show you everything all the time. No, he's Lord of the process. He's the one sanctifying you. And he does it by taking his word and showing you. And honestly, the more you would sit at his feet and listen to his word and allow him to wash you with the word, the more he could point things out and empower you in that. But so it's not just his power. He's not just the beginning. He's not just the Lord of the process. It's actually in the midst of the process, his pleasure too. He actually likes this. He likes you. He delights in you. He knows you're going to fall down, and he loves that you're growing and you're increasing. See, you go 20 steps forward and two back, you grow in the Lord like, you know, you're like, man, I made a, whew, we've gone like a mile so far. And then you trip and you fall down and you skin your nose and you skin your knees. I'm going to give up. And, you know, that kind of thing. And the Lord's right there saying, no, you've gone a mile. You're doing great. Come on, let's get back up again, right? The righteous may fall seven times, but the Lord lifts them up. See, what I'm saying is, is we look at the, I just went back two steps. We look at the, I just fell down. We look at our failure. We look at how we've messed up. I'll tell you, I talk to people all the time, and they say, but I just did this. Or, well, I'm still struggling with this. Or even in the very thing that they're believing God for the breakthrough on, right? Your truth will set you, his truth will set you free. They say, but I'm still not free in that area. But they don't see what I see. And I'm just a human being. I see increase. I see faith growing. I see someone getting stronger. I see movement, and that's how the Lord sees. He sees movement towards him. And when you fall down, of course, re we repent, confess our sin. He, the Bible says if, he, if, you, if, you, uh, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you hide that sin, you're in the dark. Confession brings you into the light. Light is there to bring healing and wholeness. So, of course, unconfessed, unrepentant sin, very bad, very destructive to you. You're resisting his leadership. What I'm saying is, when you fall down and you get back up again, you say, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Oh, I confess that was sin. Or if it wasn't necessarily a sin, but there's areas where you just need to gain more wisdom or whatever. You're saying, God, I need your wisdom. Show me how to do this. He's right there, and he's teaching you, and he's empowering you, and he's not the one beating you up. Listen to what Philippians 2 says. We just looked at it. He's working in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. You see that? For his good pleasure. Ultimately, it means ultimately to bring you to completion for his glory, but it's referring in the process, he's delighting in you. His good pleasure is all over you. When he bought you with his blood, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that he was satisfied. The Bible says when he rose from the grave, he looked at his inheritance, that would be us, and the Bible says he was satisfied. The Lord is not at the finish line, like I said, saying, you need to do it on your own. And he's not on the finish line grumpily mad at us. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, he's like a loving husband who's washing his wife with the water of the word, sanctifying her to make her a glorious church, a glorious bride. He's in the process delighting in you, loving you, enjoying you. And where, where oftentimes we're struggling to enjoy God in the process. We're like me when I'm done. 
or I'll be able to really worship or be happy when I've got victory over this thing. I'll tell you, if you really believe he's with you and he's in you, the ability to rejoice now, that's reality because he likes you and loves you now. Your sin or whatever you're struggling with is not causing him to not delight in you. You've actually already been made righteous in Christ. The Bible says, because again, he's the Lord of the process. In Hebrews 10, it says he's, he is sanctifying those who've already been made perfect. It says, by one sacrifice, he's once for all made perfect those who are being sanctified. So in Christ, you're the righteousness of God. And yet you're becoming who you were made to be. You're, you're in this process. And so because he's forgiven you of all your sin and you're in him and you're righteous, he's delighting in you, but all along the process, do you realize he likes to celebrate the little wins? Does it make sense? When, when you say no to sin, when you were like, no, that one time, and then like you didn't say no the, like the next 20 times, he's like, yeah, you said no once. You know what I mean? Like, now get back to that, you know? He's not trying. The Lord celebrates the little wins. The Lord rejoices with you. The Lord's encouraging you. Think about even the way 1 Corinthians 13 reads. Love is patient, right? Or love suffers long and is kind. It's not rude. It's not boastful. It's not easily angered. Think about that. That's how he is towards you. The Lord's not harsh. Why are we harsh with people? Why are we harsh with our spouses? Because we're impatient. Because we're selfish, right? He's not like that at all. At all. He's not like you. He's not like me. He loves so he's utterly patient. He's not frustrated with you. He's not like, man, would you just get, come on, grow faster. No, he's not like that. He's completely patient, loving you, kind. So every time he's going to correct you, though it might be hard to hear. And boy, I've had the Lord correct me pretty hardcore at times, confront me on deep issues in my life. But he was always loving and kind and gentle. He's always speaking with patience. I'm not talking about the love of this world that where we don't discipline and correct. You know that. I'm talking about Jesus who will come alongside you and say, get behind me, Satan. And you just feel so loved. I'm just saying, he corrects us, but always for our good, always with kindness. He's not angry with you. He's delighting in you the whole way. The next thing, the last thing is it's his fulfillment or his perfection. He's going to bring it to completion. He's the author and the finisher, the author and the finisher. It says in Hebrews 8 that he's praying for the saints and he's able to, um, he's able to save us to the uttermost in the New King James, meaning completely, completely, save completely. Think about Ephesians 5. He's sanctifying with the word, he's washing with the water of the word, sanctifying that he might present to himself glorious bride without spot or wrinkle. He's going to finish this thing. Philippians chapter 1 says, confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, perfection, fulfillment. So the Lord has made promises to you, and he's the one doing it. I love this. Let me end with this. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says this. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely, spirit, soul, and body. Be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse, watch this. Boom, he who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Do what? Sanctify you completely. 
He is the God who is sanctifying you completely. He will finish what he started in you. And it says, he who calls you, the author, the initiator, the source, is faithful to do it. He'll finish it. Amen? Amen? This... This is my, I, I would just say, this is my life message. I don't mean like this message right now and like what I'm preaching. I mean like this is who I am. This is the paradigm which I live. That every amount, every breakthrough I've ever had in my life, or every growth in my character, in my own calling, has always been by His grace. He does it. Victory in my life has always begun when I stop trying to do it in my own human effort or try to convince him to want to do it for me. And I begin to realize he already wants to do it. He's already promised it. And his word is the blueprint and the materials. We don't need to go to principles of this world and the values and the systems and the strategies of this world culture. We need Jesus. Like I said earlier, last time I checked, we're followers of Christ. We're becoming like him. And you can't employ humanistic strategies, philosophies, principles of the world and become like Christ. Because if you apply strategy, employ strategies of the world, you become like what? The world. You have to walk with Jesus. And it's not just principles that we arbitrarily get out of the Bible. We're not, principles without his presence are powerless. We're talking about following Jesus. And of course he has principles and commandments and, and strategies. But what I'm saying is that he said, if you'll abide in my word, my word, not the world's world, not the world system, Come to Jesus. Seek Jesus. See, I'm convinced. I don't need anything else. Now, what I don't mean is that in Jesus, we, we need each other and we learn from one another. I, I don't, I, I mean that, of course. What I mean is he's the source. He's the leader and he's delighting in me. This is it. And all along the way, as I'm growing and as I'm getting breakthrough, I'm celebrating those little wins with Jesus and giving him glory. See, because if it's my human effort, then at the end I go, oh, look at me, I did that, right? But if it was all by his grace, like in the brokenness of who I am, and I say, God, I have nothing without you. I need you. I need you. I need your grace. I don't know how to walk in purity when I was 16. I have nothing. I'm broken. I'm bound in lust. And I, God, set me free. You said he who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I cried out to him until he did it oh, well, I did this, and then I did that, and I was so smart, and I was so wise, and I have such self-will. I have none of those things. How, Dave, how do you walk in purity? Jesus. Oh, come on, come on. Jesus. Oh, well, that's not enough, you know, because I've been a Christian all my life. Well, maybe you need to go to Jesus. He has no unsatisfied customers. If you're not satisfied, maybe you've got the imitation product, right? Jesus. He's enough. Is he, did he really conquer death? Does he really live in us? Do you see what I'm saying? Did he really make promises and will he really fulfill it? Is he able? I'm just talking, let's just be honest, right? We either believe it or we don't. But we say we believe and then we run and do these other things. I'm telling you, I believe it. I've watched him do it time and time and time again in my life. Every breakthrough, everything of character, every breakthrough in my marriage is because I went to him and I said, God changed me. And I cried out to him and I sought him in his word and his light brought revelation to me and wisdom and power and ability. Even when I wasn't willing, even when I'm like, I don't know, I don't want to do that. He changed my motives because I kept coming to him and coming to him. One time he said to me, because I was really discouraged, he said, you just come to me, I'll take care of the rest. Right? 
He'll work in me to will and to do. Amen? Let's stand up and respond to the Lord. Let's